Well, church, let me encourage you, if you would, to go ahead and grab your Bible or pull out the Bible app on your phone and join me, if you would, in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning and we're, we're stepping into a new portion of this great letter written by the Apostle Paul, divinely inspired to be sent to the church in Ephesus in the early days of the church. And then, then now to serve as a gift to, to the church today to encourage us to understand what it means to live in light of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Ephesians 5, we're going to pick up to th- this morning and then we're gonna go for the rest of the, the year, really all the way up to the Christmas holidays through the remainder of the book of Ephesians, chapters five and six. And so we've been, we've been walking through Ephesians all year. If you're new to Shades, this is where we've been spending some time. We've had a few breaks uh, in, in the process, but we're starting in this new chapter today to be encouraged in what it means to, to walk in love to live in light of what we, we receive in the good news of Jesus Christ for those who are followers of Christ. And I realize you may be here today and maybe, maybe, maybe you would not describe yourself as a follower of Christ. Maybe you're today saying, yeah, I'm, I've got some spiritual questions or I've got some beliefs about God, but I'm, I'm not really sure where I stand as it relates to Jesus. And if that's you today, we are so grateful that you are joining us or, or joining us online for this time because we just believe that as we gather together and turn our attention to the word of God, you are going to be encouraged. And you're gonna see what we call good news, the good news of the gospel and the finished work of Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that you'll see what that means for you specifically today. So Ephesians chapter five, we're gonna just read two verses and focus on two verses for our message this morning as we, as we step into this portion of the letter. And I'd like to invite you, if you're willing and able, to stand right back up with me. I know you were just seated, but, but at the beginning of a, of a message, we stand for the reading of God's word. And if you're new to Shades, we do this so that every single one of us as we gather can be reminded that the foundation for the church of Jesus Christ and the foundation that the people of God stand upon is the word of God. It is faithful, it is true, it is the solid rock foundation under our feet and it reveals what God says is right and good and true. And in a culture that is telling us a lot of different things to believe about what is right and good and true, Don't we need to hear what God says is right and good and true? So we see in the scripture, Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2 state it this way. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up. It's a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Would you pray with me that God would use this time to speak into our lives what he knows we need to hear on this day. Let's pray. Father, as we stand before you and consider your word this morning, 
It is my prayer that your word would do exactly what your word says it will do through the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit to to speak into our lives, to, to cut right through the core of the issue, to show us what we need to see. And Father, as we come together today in this room and And with those who join us online, there's so many stories represented, so many circumstances that are being navigated, difficult decisions to be made, significant burdens that are being carried. Lord, in all of these things, I pray that you would meet us with the good news of your word, that your word would speak clearly into our lives what you know we need to hear. And Lord, I pray in this moment that we would be open with, with willing hearts, with expectant hearts to receive what you lay before us and the good news of your word. So use this time for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. Ephesians chapter 5 begins with a word that actually shows up many times in the Apostle Paul's writings that we have contained in the Scripture. It's a simple word, the word therefore. And what we often try to say when that word shows up in Scripture is we need to stop and we need to evaluate what is it therefore? What is it connecting? Why, why is this thought connected to that thought? This word therefore serves as a bridge. And so if you're, if you're new to Shades today or, or perhaps you haven't been with us in a while or maybe you're, you're new to Bible study or new to the book of Ephesians, I, I want to, to take that word therefore and connect us back to what we've already seen in this great letter to the church in Ephesus because it's so important for, for where we're going. What the book of Ephesians lays before us is the good news of the gospel. Ephesians chapter one says that, that, that those who are, are cut off from God or distant from God or not connected to the family of God can actually be invited in as a child of God. We're gonna talk about that a little more in a moment. This incredible invitation that says, hey, it's not about what you've done. It's not about where you're from. It's not about what you look like or, or what you've accomplished in your life. But, but through the gift of the gospel received through faith, you can be called a child of God. God is inviting you into his family to be adopted as one of his own. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, we see the, the, the gospel explicitly laid out. Ephesians chapter 2 says it is by grace through faith that that you or I receive the gift of salvation. It's not a result of works that, that any man may boast. No, this is a gift of God to be received in faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished at the cross by, by laying his perfect and sinless life at the cross as a gift for, for you and for me to receive as he took our place. And did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Have you, have you received by, by grace through faith the gift of Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord? 
Then, then the letter continues and beginning in chapter three and chapter four, where we've just recently spent some time, Ephesians ben begins to say, okay, in light of this good news of the gospel, in light of what Jesus Christ has done through the cross and the power of his resurrection, in light of this incredible invitation to be called a child of God, if you have received this good news by faith, it will change the way you live. In fact, I would even propose to you the word of God says if if you've received by grace through faith the good news of Jesus Christ, there is no way you can be the same as you once were. It's gonna reorient your life. It's gonna reorient your priorities. It's gonna refocus the way you look at the world and interact with those around you. And that's where we're spending some time here now in Ephesians 5. As Ephesians 5 says, hey, you've been given this invitation If you've received Christ, you've been called a son or a daughter of God. Now walk in love. Now demonstrate that that your life reflects the calling that you have received. Now, Now be an example of the gift that has been given to you through Jesus Christ and the way you interact with others around you. This calling is in light of what Christ has done. This command to walk in love for the people of God is in light of what Christ has done. And I would propose to you this morning as we step into this command to walk in love that that this really is the command that the people of God are to be known for. That the people of God are to be known, Jesus says in John 13, by their love. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples in your love for one another. You are to be known for your love if you are a follower of Jesus. Let me just ask you plain and simply right up front, what are you known for? Taking stock of your own life, taking stock of the way you've lived this week and the the people you've interacted with as they walked away from that interaction, what would be the defining characteristic that they would attach to your life? Is it love or was it something else? What are Christians known for? Jesus makes this clear, does he not, in the great commandment that he lays before his first disciples. Matthew chapter 22, if you wanna turn there with me, we'll, we'll go right back to Ephesians five in a moment. But in Matthew 22, Jesus lays out the great commandment. What he says is most important of all the commands. And the reason he does this is if somebody comes to him who understands the law and is is really trying to navigate, okay, there's a lot of laws here. There's a lot of commands out there. So Jesus, I just wanna simplify my life. I've got a lot going on. My schedule's busy. The calendar's full. Jesus, I'm trying to figure out, okay, how can I prioritize the, the rules that are most important, the commands that are most important? It would be really great if you would just tell me what's number one. Of all the commands out there, what's the most important thing that I can do with my life? Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, we see this. This man says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Jesus doesn't stop there though. He says, and the second is like it. He puts the two together. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. And I love what Jesus is doing here. 
This is especially pertinent to us today in the church. I love what Jesus has done because he has said, okay, I want you to understand the most important thing that you can do with your life is to love God. And I know many people around the room would go, yeah, I love God. I, I do, I love God. And, and maybe that has different forms or, or different shapes or different practices for how you're living your, your life right now. But, but most people I think in this room today would say, yes, I have a love for God. And Jesus says, okay, a love for God is going to be demonstrated and revealed in this second little part. Go love people, go love others. And if we have any intellectual integrity whatsoever, we know that this is really where the rubber meets the road, right? Because if you just think about your life and you think about our culture and you think about what's going on in the world around you, aren't there a lot of people that are really stinking hard to love? I mean, there's some, there's some people that are crazy hard to love out there. Some of them are in this room. And Jesus is saying, look, the way that you reveal that you love God is you will love others. I mean, yeah, it would be great if we could all say we love God and then just get rid of all the people that are hard to love and you know, every day is sunshine and roses and happy and there's no annoying people or frustrating people or disappointing people or mean people or angry people. No, no, no. You just, you just find the group of people that are easy to love and, and then you just go, I love God and I love these people, but everybody else I'm dismissing. And Jesus is like, no, no, you don't understand. That's actually not demonstrating a love for God at all. Because to demonstrate a love for God you will then love people that are difficult to love. And here's why Jesus says that. Not only so that our, our love will be revealed, our love for God will be revealed in the way we love others, but because we need to be reminded of God's love for us. And the reason I say that is because while we all could find a list of people in our own life that we think are hard to love, compared to a holy and righteous God, you and I are really hard to love. Really hard to love. I mean, shoot, those of you that have been married longer than a minute, you know your spouse can be hard to love. You know that you, as a spouse, can be hard to love. Those of you who are in a family at all, you know that there are people in your family that can be hard to love, and you can be hard to love in your own family with the people that care about you the most. And Jesus connects these two commands so that we will be able to see not only is the love we have for God revealed in the way we love others, but as we love others, especially those that are hard to love, we are getting a clearer picture of God's love for us because we are hard to love. But the gospel says this, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were the hardest to love, when there was nothing at all that we were bringing to the table, when we were in the midst of our, of our darkest sin, when we were in the midst of our worst moments, God sees us and says, I will demonstrate my love for them right now by giving them the greatest gift they could ever receive. God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is what fuels us and propels us to be a people 
of love. And so Ephesians 5, it says here again, verse 1, therefore, in light of this good news of the gospel, in light of this unbelievable love that God has demonstrated towards you through Christ, be an imitator of God. Just like a beloved child. Be an imitator of God as a beloved child. How do we walk in love? Very practically, imitate the Father. Imitation, the greatest form of flattery. Imitation that says, I see something in you that I, I want to be like. There's something in your life that I want to reflect. There's something in your life that, that I want to represent. I see in you something that I really, really love. And I, I desire to be like what I see. And isn't it such a beautiful example that Paul gives us to think about this, the way a child relates, especially a young child, to their father. Those of you who have young kids in the home, I'm sure you see this play out. I I remember those days when our kids were so little and I'd walk into the bedroom and and one of them would like be putting dad's shoes on, you know, trying to, to, to walk across the room in dad's shoes. Or when our boys were little and I would be in the, in the bathroom shaving, I do that about once a week, you know, it doesn't happen all the time. You can see there's a little scruff right now, but I would be shaving and one of the boys would want some shaving cream in their hand to put on their face, be like dad. Those of you with young kids, you've seen this play out and it's just this beautiful little picture as we see a child that wants to imitate what they see in the one that they love because they know they are loved. Paul is saying you be an imitator of God as a beloved child. For you see, love defines the way God relates to his children. Love is the leading characteristic that God portrays for his children. And I I do want to stop here for just a moment because there's, there's a very common misconception in our culture today as it relates to who are children of God. Many people would say, hey, hey, we're all God's children. We're all children of God. But that's actually, that's actually the, the way a universalistic culture would explain it. That's not what the word of God says. We're not all God's children. Now, according to scripture, we are all made in the image of God. We are a reflection of our creator God, our our heavenly father, but we are not all children of God according to what we see in Ephesians. Go back to chapter one. Ephesians chapter one, verses three through six. What does it say? It says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who was who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world so that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then listen to this. In love, he predestined us for adoption, it says. For adoption to himself as a son through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. A child of God is one who has been invited into the family of God by grace through faith, has received this invitation 
to be grafted in, to be part of the family of God. Why is this so important? Because there are times when we can say, well, I'm good to go because of where I was born. I'm good to go with God because of the the family tree that I'm connected to. Granddaddy was a deacon. My uncle went to church. Grandmama prayed for me. I'm good to to go with God because of, of this lineage that I come from. So our family's fine. I'm good to go with God because of the the region of the world I was born in or the the community that I was born in. I'm good to go with God because our family has spent some time in church and the scripture is saying actually the only way to be a part of the family of God is if you have been adopted into the family by God, by grace through faith, you have received this invitation and trusted your life in a very personal way to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. This is not so something that you're just born into. This is not something that you just deserve because of where you're from or or who your grandparents were. No, this is a gift to be received in faith. And when this gift is received by faith, the scripture says you're called a child of God. The doctrine of adoption is so beautiful to think about the father who loves his children, who, who sees those who are in need, who meets them in need, who lavishly pours out grace, something that, that is not deserved and says, I want you to be mine. You, you come with me. Will, will you trust in me? This is what it means to be called a child of God. Is that your story? Is that your story? That it's not about you trying to prove your worth to God or it's not about you trying to say, hey, hey, I'm good to go with God because of of this background or or this history or or where I was born, but but I'm in the family of God because God has called me through Christ and I by faith received this gift of grace and trusted in him. I am a son or a daughter of the Father. Be an imitator of the Father. When you think about this doctrine of adoption, it is all fueled by love. A family that adopts a child, some of you have experienced this in a personal way, it is fueled by love. So be an imitator of the Father who has loved us, who are children of God, and who invites those who are not yet children of God to join his family through his love. By grace, through faith, you can be saved. Imitate the Father and be a reflection of the love that he has extended to you if you are his child. Then we come to verse 2, and there's the call. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. How do we walk in love? We look to what Christ gave. I brought with me something that I'm really proud of that I wanted to show all y'all. My wife is like going, what are you doing right now? 
This is a sweet little box that has my name in beautiful block letters, you know, and then it has a little heart. It says Megan down in the corner, George, love Megan. And inside this beautiful little box are all of the love letters that Megan wrote to me when we were in college and we were falling in love over 20 years ago. And so I could pull one of these letters out, you know, and I could, could open this letter and I could read it. I'm not gonna read you this letter. This is private, man, my kids are here. I'm not reading this out loud. But I'll tell you this, this box of letters right here, man, Megan tells me over and over and over again how much she loves me. It's amazing. And as great as this is, I mean, I, it's kind of crazy I still have it, but as great as this is, can I just tell you, all the times that she tells me she loves me, in those love letters, they're nothing compared to the day in June of 2001 where she walked down that aisle and she said, I commit my life to you. And I'm gonna give myself up for you. I'm gonna trust you with my life. I'm gonna follow wherever the Lord leads us to go. Nothing in those letters comes close to revealing her love to me the way she revealed her love to me at the beginning of our marriage when she said, I know God is calling us to ministry and I'm willing to, I'm willing to leave the only place I've ever lived to move across the country with you. Yeah, you. To follow where God's leading us. I mean, that, the demonstration of love through what she gave up to, to trust me and to love me. I mean, her words are great. Her words are, are eloquent. They're, they're beautiful. She even wrote me some poems. They're amazing. It was a joke, y'all can laugh at that. They're not good, but they're sweet. <laughs> they're really, really sweet. Roses are red, violets are blue. You're really nice and I love you. You know, like, I mean, they're great. As beautiful as those words are, they're nothing like what I have experienced in the action of her love. She's given up things to love me She's laid things down to trust me. Those of you who are married, you, you know what this is like. The Apostle Paul says, walk in love as Christ loved us. And how did he show us he loved us? He gave himself up. You see, real love is, is not certainly about just the things we say. And real love is not just about the things that we receive, as nice as those things may be. Real love is always about what is, what is sacrificed for the one we love. What is given for the one that we love. That's how real love is displayed. I mean, I, I think about this in our, in our country, and I, I love this about our country. We have, we have days that are devoted to celebrate in gratitude those who have loved this nation enough to sacrifice greatly. Serving through our military, serving through our armed forces. I am so grateful for those who have, who have sacrificed so much for this nation that we love and we applaud that service and we celebrate that service because of what they laid down in service to the land that they love. Real love is always demonstrated through what we are willing to give for the one that we love. And isn't this what we see in the word of God? 
The most famous verse in all of the scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, don't miss this, that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave to demonstrate his love. And he gave at a very high cost, his only son, so that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is the love that the people of God, Christians, followers of Jesus, have been called to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And when this is the love that fuels us, we can see the call of Jesus And it's not a foreign, crazy idea. The call of Jesus, Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. Jesus says to his first disciples, this is what Jesus would say to anyone who would be his disciple. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, what's the call? Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is what true love looks like, according to Jesus. If you are a follower of Christ, your eyes are so fixed on the cross of Christ and what you have been given and what has been sacrificed for you that you will say, I will take up a cross today. I will take it with me everywhere I go and anything in my life that is preventing me from demonstrating the love of God, I will put it on that cross. Anything in my life that is a barrier between me loving God and demonstrating to others the love of God, I will put on that cross. If anyone wishes to come after me, Jesus says, he will deny himself. He will give himself up to follow Jesus. And we may think, well, that's a lot. That's a lot. And so Jesus says, yeah, but if you, if you don't give yourself up, if you try to do this your own way, if you try to live a self-focused, self-centered life, if you try to hold on to your life, if you try to make this all about you, if you try to save yourself through your works or your deeds, if you, if you try to earn your way to God, if, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. It happens every single time. We could look at story after story after story of people all throughout history who have acquired the things of this world and lost their life. But Jesus said, if you lose your life for my sake, If you deny yourself and follow me, in light of the great love that I've given to you, if you love others in a sacrificial way, you will find true life. It's an amazing invitation. It's all fueled by love. And it's all a reflection of what Jesus Christ has offered to you. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Look to the cross. Anytime you question, can God love me? Anytime you question whether or not you are lovable by God, look to the cross and see what he gave to demonstrate his love for you. 
And then we see here, Ephesians 5, 2, as it wraps up, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And then it says this, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. What is this all about? Well, here the Apostle Paul is is referencing something that the, the early church would have been very familiar with. He's referencing the sacrificial system that was at play among the people of God for generations. The sacrificial system was bringing, bringing animals to, to make a sacrifice as an act of worship or, or to pay for, for sins. There were different types of sacrifices that were to be observed at different seasons and for different reasons. Imagine what this would be like if, if this were still in play. I mean, you know, some of you who might be a little bored in church today, hey, next week just bring some doves or a goat or some sheep with you and we'll just, we'll just kill them out in the lobby and bring them in. You, know, you can lay them up front. We'll burn them. That, that'd be pretty exciting, right? I mean, like that'd be a church service that you would never forget. You probably wouldn't come back, but you'd never forget it, right? I mean, this, this is something that is pretty memorable. And Paul's saying in the midst of those sacrifices, when a sacrifice was made from a posture of worship, and that animal that had been killed was laid on the altar, and then a fire would be lit, and that that animal would begin to be cooked. It would create a, a smell. Some of you really really love this smell. It's that smell of a, a ribeye on the grill or some good burgers that have been thrown on the grill. You know, you're walking through the neighborhood and you know your neighbors are going to have a great dinner because you can smell it coming, you know, through the wind. There's a fragrant aroma when a good steak or a good piece of meat is on the grill. And the word of God is saying here that when a when an offering, a, a sacrifice of love is, is made before the Lord as an act of worship, there's a pleasing aroma. It's a demonstration of a gift that has been received, that God is pleased with this, with this offering of worship. I want to go back to the very beginning of the story. We're going to land the plane right here. Genesis chapter 8 is right at the very beginning of the story. After, after the fall of man in the garden, Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve take the apple and they, they rebel against God and his best and sin enters the equation, everything gets chaotic very quickly. And by Genesis 8, the, the world is such a mess that, that God literally says, I'm just going to start over. Just starting over. This is such a mess and sin is so rampant and so wild that I'm, I'm starting over. And so he says, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna take one family and I'm gonna take the animals two by two and I'm gonna place them on an ark and we're gonna start there. Y'all know this story. This is Noah and the ark. The flood comes, Noah's built the ark, the animals board two by two. Noah and his family get on the boat and the entire earth is covered with water and every living thing is destroyed. And at the end of the flood, when the water dissipates and the boat safely comes to rest on dry ground, Noah and his family get off the boat, the animals, I'm sure, smelling like who knows what, get off the boat. Noah 
goes before the Lord and makes an offering of worship. Why? Because he's been saved. He's been saved. And so he responds to the gift he has received by making a sacrificial offering. You see this in Genesis 8, again, verse 20. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Think about this. These are the, the very animals that God said to Noah, You need to take care of them during this flood, you need to keep them alive. These are very valuable animals. There's not many left. But Noah takes some of these animals, those that are called clean, and he sacrifices them and lays them on the altar. And listen to what it says. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, an act of worship that demonstrates love in light of the love that has been received from God, in light of the salvation that has been received from God. It is a pleasing aroma to God. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease." A promise of God, a covenant of God with Noah, with mankind from this place as this pleasing aroma fills the air, this act of worship in gratitude for the gift of salvation fills the air. And God says, I make a promise of my provision and my grace from here on out for whoever will trust in me. It's an amazing scene of God saying there is provision and there is grace from here on out for those who trust in me. Flowing out of an offering that is an act of worship in response to the salvation of God. The Apostle Paul says that the people of God are to walk in love in such a way that we, that we are a reflection of what Christ has done and we are a fragrant offering, an act of worship, smelling good, filling up the air because of what we have received so that others can see, hear understand and even smell the good news of the gospel flowing through the people of God in light of what we have received. Walk in love. Imitate the Father and what he has done for you. Walk in love. Cling to the cross and be reminded of God's love for you. Walk in love and offer your life as an act of love to the one who has given everything for you. Let me pray for us as we close our time here today. Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the, the beautiful unveiling of the gospel 
that flows throughout the scripture, the good news of what Christ has done. And Lord, I pray, I pray that your church would be known as a people who lead with love. The defining characteristic of, of the people of God would be the characteristic of love in light of what you have done, in light of what we have received. And so, Lord, as we examine our own life today through the lens of Ephesians 5, I pray that if there's anything in our life right now that is creating a barrier for us to demonstrate love to others, I pray that you would reveal it. I pray that you would remove it. I I pray if there's something that we need to lay down, that we're holding on to, that is actually preventing us from walking in love, Lord, I pray that, that we would lay it at the cross, that we would be reminded of how great your love is for us and what you've given us, and that we would be a people that are a reflection of that great love in the way that we live. And Lord, as I close, I, I, I pray specifically for those who are with us today or those who are joining us online who've never received and experienced this great love in a real and personal way. Perhaps they, perhaps they would say, hey, I love God, but I'm not, I'm not sure I'm not sure what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe they've heard about Jesus. Or, or maybe they've been trying really hard to live a good life. And yet, if they're honest, they've never received by grace through faith the gift of Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. I pray that today would be that day for them. Even this moment would be the moment for them when they would say, Jesus, I I am ready to receive your love for me. I'm ready to receive the the gift that you have offered through the cross and, and through the power of your resurrection to forgive my sin, to make me a new creation, I'm ready to receive the invitation to be called a child of God because of what Jesus Christ has done. And Lord, we praise you. We praise you for that gift of salvation. We praise you for what you have provided. We praise you for what you have done. And we pray, Lord God, that we would be a people who live in light of what we have received. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.